Um, the first thing that we did, we laughed about it and said, ah, you guys can't do that. There's so many established players here. It's such a tight market. You have no experience. And same thing, like, why not? You know, why, why can't you do it? So it's almost a catalyst for us and a motivating factor when we get these comments and that you'll us even more to get it done. Welcome to episode 107 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with Max DeMello and Patrick Niederdrink. And Patrick and Max, they're both real estate entrepreneurs. They're with American One Real Estate, and they are doing some incredible luxury development here in Phoenix. And they will be expanding. They're both originally from Germany, came to America, have an incredible vision for luxury real estate. And we spoke about the growth, what it takes to get from the initial vision to now be in this market. How do you work with investors? How does that feasibility study work? What are the complexities of doing a luxury development? And how do you tie this all together? There was some amazing advice they gave for the luxury market, what they see forecasting in the future, and what really has been a strength to them to build their business, especially in regard to marketing. So this is an episode you don't want to miss. Without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levin, and we have two special guests with us today. We have Max DeMello, and we have Patrick uh, Niederdrink with us today. And I'm a huge fan of them. They are real estate entrepreneurs doing some amazing high-end luxury real estate. And this has been long overdue to have you guys on. So welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Brett. And we actually have them here in person because uh, there are little local celebrities here in town, right? <laughs> They're doing some amazing things in town. And so let's start here. Right now, you guys have over 90,000 square feet of luxury, uh, luxurious development, luxury development here in town. Um, so how's that going? It, it's going. I mean, you you know the deal. It's right now. It's a little challenging with getting uh, you know everybody on schedule and on time, and budgets getting thrown off a little bit. So, um, but then again, having multiple projects, you have a little bit of a leverage, so you can you know maybe hold people a little bit more accountable or or get stuff done a little bit faster. Um, but it is still like you know it's getting better. But but you know definitely could tell there was a little bit of a hiccup uh, last twelve months. Um, but other than that's going well. We have. Different types, you know, those 90,000 split up into the ones where we're involved in construction, we're involved in design project management. So uh, we kind of cover all bases on the construction side. And um, that's that's how that adds up pretty quick. So how did you guys get into this? I mean, because from a developer side, I mean, you guys know real estate, you know, you have connections to investors. I mean, you're doing luxury development yourself. And you're also doing a lot more than just finding a contractor. You're involved in design, you're involved in architecture. You know, how did all that come together? It kind of came pretty organically, to be honest. We started with a little flip that was four years ago. Um, it's a little town home, just under a thousand square feet, just did an interior remodel. That was the first deal that we did. Um, and at that time, quite honestly, we, we didn't really, we A, had no experience. Um, the money that we put into the deal was our money. So that's all we had at the time. Um, and we just... Uh, we just got into it, I guess, and we, we enjoyed the process and um, never looked back. And then from, from there on, we did another one, a little bit bigger one. The first one, price point, was around $100,000. Actually, at that time, you could you could even buy a townhouse for that <laughs> um, in Scottsdale, Old Town. Um, and then, yeah, just the deals got bigger. And then after interior remodel, we started adding square footage. Um, Patrick kind of found his passion and figuring out how to use the existing kind of building envelope, add on, reconfigure. Um, then we started taking roofs off. And uh, next thing you know, we're into new builds. So, And and now, because you started with flips, you've gone to mostly new build now, all development. And, you know, thinking about that, it, it, it's interesting as you speak, as I speak to companies, and it's really important that you are focused, right, on what your goal is. But at the same time, there has to be some versatility, right? Because economies they ebb and flow, there's changes, you know, you have to deal with that. And for you guys, it's not just traditional realtor where, hey, I'm going to list a home, I'm going to sell a home. You're like, hey, we're going to go into the development side. We're going to flip. We're going to do our own development. I mean, so that that is a big transition. I mean, how has that grown? How long did it take you to take from that first flip to now you're doing these super high-end luxury developments here in town? Um, just looking at the years, it's been a good four, four and a half years. So the time wasn't it wasn't like super long, right? It happened pretty quickly. Um, we actually came from the flip first, then to the real estate brokerage, and then started the bigger stuff. So, and and I think it's it's more like a, like Max said, it's kind of organic how it happened. We always 
spend a lot of time working and then, you know, always we talk about the extra mile. So at night we would say, okay, what's the next step? So before we actually got into the next big deal, we were already like running the numbers on a hundred deals every night that we knew we couldn't do at the time because they're too big, too expensive. We wouldn't have the experience, but we ran like practice scenarios on it. We did designs on houses. We said, we're not going to buy it, but we got to go through the motion of, can you reconfigure it? How do you do it? So we basically, and that's why we always say, even though it's only been four years, if you have two guys, that's eight years. And if you work a hundred hours a week, that's, you know, so that's how we like got a lot of stuff done in four years because we're a little bit of a workaholic, but then again, we like what we do. So it's, it, it doesn't feel like it. Like it's also a hobby. When you come home, you start designing stuff and looking at, you know, tweaking stuff. So we don't mind it. Yeah. And I guess another thing that helped us a lot is we fairly quickly aligned ourselves with um, people that were a lot more experienced than uh, than we were that uh, guided us. Um, and there's two guys in, in particular and that are the co-owners of our brokerage miracle and luxury real estate. Those guys have um, 15, 20 years plus experience. Uh, one is an attorney, the other one is an accountant by trade. So you got the perfect combination of developed and, and flipped so many deals and major, major projects. So having those guys in our corner, um, understanding how to stay out of trouble, um, do the underwriting conservatively and, and kind of understand when is a deal a deal and when is the time to maybe not do the deal and understanding also that one of the best deals are the ones that you actually don't do, right? So um, those guys... I mean, just huge credit to them. Uh, we weren't where we are today without them, for sure. It's awesome. I mean, you have to have a good mentor. And as I, you know, I think through this and what, for those listening, what's unique about your projects, these aren't normal. They're not flat lot, small builds, right? A lot of these are really complicated. You're building in a canyon, you're building on a hillside. These are projects I do for my customers and there's a lot of complexity, right? There's a lot of unforeseen, unanticipated costs. And, and you mentioned this early on, Patrick, here we are last year, you're dealing with COVID, you're dealing with price escalation. So how are you managing, you know, when you talk about that feasibility study and you're doing all that research and you did mention this, that, hey, we spent a lot of time, even though we weren't doing the deals, we're doing the research. We're saying, what would this sell for? How much would it cost? How do we change this floor plan? And so mentally you're preparing yourself. You're doing that homework in preparation for where you are today. How is that affected now? Because when you're looking at a deal and you have investors lined up, you have a development lined up, costs are rising. How does that affect? How do you bob and weave now to adjust with that to make sure the sell price will now meet the demand. It'll, there'll still be a demand. You can hit appraisals, you know, all the complication that goes with it. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the last last 18 months were kind of a little special for everyone, right? It's it's, uh, it's hard to predict a, a global pandemic. Um, but I, I guess, especially in Arizona, we, we and you always need a little bit of luck, right? I think everybody got lucky in Arizona that prices and lead times, you know, went all over the place. But the market was so strong that that way outpaced the increase of you know materials and everything. So yeah, our cost went up, but the the finished product was worth a lot more too. So it, it kind of like you know the the market held everybody um, on track, right? As far as the, the extra costs were covered. Um, yeah, I mean there's but like Max, we're very conservative and and we're not trying to 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 hit a record on every deal we do, right? There's a lot of people that always say, oh, the most expensive house sold for 2 million, I'm going to build one for 2.8, right? Yeah. I'm going to crush the record. Max and I always do once, hey, everything sells around 2, 2, 2, 3. Let's do a nice house for 1995. Yeah. So we're the best alternative on the block. You don't have to go too crazy and you know it's going to sell. And the other thing we always keep an eye on um, and, and that's why we're a big fan of, of your work is, is like you, you got to have a good quality product because if the market does change, slow down, the first thing that's going to sit is the the stuff that you know people cut corners or the quality wasn't right. Because right now it's hard to even get your hands on a nice new build because they sell so fast. If the market changes and all of a sudden there's ten on the market, everybody's going to go to the best product first. So that's kind of our approach: saying, okay, we got to do a clean product. We don't have to crush like the profits don't have to be through the roof. Let's make a good number that's worth everybody's time and effort. And and do a good product, sell it, move on to the next one. So that's why we and we're pre-selling pretty much eighty percent of our stuff before we even get to drywall. So because we're priced where we should be, so not trying to to uh, you know 
It's interesting. And and I love that you share that, Patrick, because what I don't think most people realize and why I appreciate what you both are doing is that you are looking at the quality and the the type of construction and the design. And that's not the case. I mean, the unfortunate thing is in town, I've walked a lot of homes, you know, for clients that are buying their investor homes and you walk through the house and immediately as a builder, I'm looking at this house, like the quality's not there. You can tell that the developer's just trying to flip and make a buck. And you know, it's it's discouraging for the client because they're going to have to come in now and put their own dollars in and remodel it, even though it's a new build, essentially. But even to that point, Patrick, I mean, what, what you're speaking about is that even though you're targeting a certain market, there's a lot of research in, as far as identifying, well, what happens if something goes belly up, right? Are we in the right price? You know, are we the biggest home in the neighborhood? Or are we right where we need to be? We have the value there, you know, the quality's there. And so that when all things fail, if they do, we're still going to be at the top of the list because we've done our, our due diligence. Yeah, and, and I think the the one thing that you know we when we talked about it, I think we always try to to make sure that we that like you said, good quality, do the right thing, make sure that that you touch. We always say touch every room, right? Because a lot of times when you walk a spec, you see a lot of white drywall, right? Yeah, and then you're like, <laughs> okay, that's you know that's nice. So we got a starting point, right? But that's a finished product for most specs, right? The the stucco box is the yep stucco and drywall. Buy this for six million, and then they spend a million dollars on wallpaper, trim, custom this, custom that, you know, AV systems. So we have one kind of slogan that we go with for ourselves, and we always say our spec is somebody else's custom, right? So whoever's going to buy our spec, to them, that's their custom home, that's their dream home. So we try to think, okay, if this would be my house and I would build my dream home, I would not have everything just, you know, there, there needs to be some wallpaper in the master bedroom, and there needs to be some tile in the entryway, like there needs to be stuff that, um, that, that people appreciate when they walk through the house and can tell that you at least touched one wall in each room to make sure that every room, you know, feels, feels like somebody already worked on it and, and it's move-in ready rather than, okay, now we got a starting point. Now we got to figure everything out ourselves. So with that mentality, and I love that slogan, you know, that our, um, our spec is someone else's custom. So how involved do both of you get you know, as far as the design, the architecture, the layout of any new project? It kind of depends on the project. Um, on the projects that we do for ourselves with our investment group, um, we're hands-on start to finish. Um, and then there's there's other uh, projects or collaborations. For example, you mentioned um, the Canyon, right? Mm -hmm. Crown Canyon, for example, we partnered up with Bet Barak, who is the builder and developer. Um, where we give our feedback and we kind of contribute to the opinion of what's the best product for resale, right? What are what are some features? And I mean, the lineup there with Mara Interior Design, Bedrock. I mean, it's just it's just great. And then collaborating there and trying to put the best thing together in a team effort. That's that's what we enjoy on that end a lot. And so with the Bedrock one, like. Uh that project, that's where the, you're the listing agent, you're working with them to sell all the development that they're doing. And that's where they really do want your opinion because you're selling at the end of the day, yeah. doing all the marketing, all the costs involved, you know, to publish this project. Correct. So how does that work, you know, from the, when, when you're working with a developer such as that project, how does that differ in your marketing strategy or who are you marketing to? Is this local? Is this national? Are there certain cities where you're seeing more of an influx and that's who you're targeting? So just like we do our homework on the uh, on the research for deal analysis and and that and we do the same thing on the marketing side. I mean we do understand where the buyers come from, uh, whether they relocate nationally from north to south, right? Because there's there's a trend of people moving on DC Ranch, Silvercrest area down um, uh, down to Paradise Valley. And real quick, if I interrupt you, it's interesting you say that because I think that's missed by a lot of people. And then for those listening here in Phoenix, you have a lot of people that live in North Scottsdale that are a long ways either from the airport or they're traveling or they want to downsize or they want to be closer to the city. And that's where a lot of them do end up selling their property up there and coming into town. Correct. And then obviously out of state, we have a high influx of uh, out of state um, clients that we see on our projects. We see that on our listings. So understanding what their needs are, where they come from, and then strategically market to them on all channels. Um, that's what we do on that end. And then how much support do you have with the brokerage itself you know with the reputation nationally and you know other realtors and brokers across the country yeah i mean we're obviously more like a boutique setup right we have uh we have just over 20 agents um now um that we 
built up from starting with you know one to four years ago to now about twenty, and we're, we're not trying to become big. Like that's you know a, a very good number. We don't want to get too big, but but you have to be able to have the manpower to to you know for bigger developments projects that agents jump on the phone with you and start calling out of state top brokers and say, hey, we have a product here. If you guys have anybody moving to Arizona that's looking in the ten million, pl- like you have to be kind of proactive about a lot of stuff. Um, and and we have a, a where we're like very lucky that we have a great team spirit in our brokerage and everybody's, you know, just jumping in, helping each other. And then that puts a lot of manpower behind everything we do um, rather than, the, you know, if it's one or two agents or a, a small team and then everybody does their own with us, it's more like, you know, a, a team effort. So that, that helps a lot um, to get the message out there and what we do. And when you guys are looking at your own development, you know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of feasibility studies you're doing right on the market and cost and the project itself and how much development is involved, you know, from site work and so forth. And so when you're going through that and you're working with investors, is it typically always 100% privately invested? Are you working with bank and banks and leveraging that? Is there a combo of both? It's usually a combo of both. Um and again, going back to uh, the partners that we have, that's one of the things that we learned uh, quickly and pretty early on as well, understanding what are the different avenues to put a deal together, right? Um, leveraging from debt facilities like local banks, um, our main partner is First Bank, um, when it comes to financing through through banks, um, there's soft money as well too, right? It's not only always bank or hard money. And then the combination of that with investors where we have equity as well as debt structures um, that work there, um, I guess, leave room to pretty much put any deal together if we want to. Um, and then it's it's all about timing on that end. I mean, I can, there's several deals that maybe at a certain time we were not able to do because we didn't have the capital or we had the capital already placed. Um, and then, you know, a couple of months later, it actually ended up working out. And that deal that we thought was not going to happen actually happened that ha- that happened a couple of times already um so timing is everything um so the right deal at the right time we do not have investment money with us that we need to put to work immediately that's the next thing so the position that we are in is kind of ready to pull the trigger um when we see something good but we don't have to get involved into a deal just to do a deal so there's no institutional money or anything uh, that we that we have that needs to be placed um because we get the question always from investors, when when is the next deal coming around? I just, I don't know, maybe could maybe be in an tomorrow, hour, could be in six maybe, yeah. six months, and that can go pretty quickly. So um, I guess that's that's a setup that enables us to be selective about the deals that we do. And it's interesting to bring that up, Max, and and maybe I'll pick your brain. Do you feel that this gives you a little bit more flexibility and strength in the market where you can pick and select and handpick different projects? And the reason I say this is because I I have spoken with other investors, especially in the real estate market, where they're working with a fund, right? And they have to place this money. And so they're coming, they're buying stuff. And they do say on occasion, you know, it's not like there's a ton of, I mean, they're still doing the research, but it's not to the same depth that you're doing it because they're having to place these funds as opposed to, no, we're going to strategically place them and then we're going to go raise the capital. I agree with you. Um, We are working on a fund. Um, So the trick there is, and that's our strategy, um, when we put that together is to have that diversified. If it was solely in luxury residential development, um, I would kind of contradict uh, with what I said a minute right. ago. Um, <laughs> however, if you understand how to diversify that and bring in commercial and other um, investment opportunities on the real estate side um, that we can that we can take on, then it becomes a little bit different because the fund itself then is diversified. You have some cash flowing assets, you have some development, some is commercial, some is residential, um, and then it works. Um, at a certain size, and our partners have have uh, worked with a f- private equity fund, uh, I think around two hundred million dollar fund they had and worked. Um, so we understand what that means, not because we did it, but again, our partners have done it. So we're able to put that together and kind of cover everything on the residential side, um, bring in investors and partners that we've been working with from back home 
which you know half of our investors are from back home germany and the other half are from here so then it makes sense um and i think we can we can make that work especially with the right expectation understanding how long it takes to place that money so what's interesting max you know and maybe speak about this side the investor side when you know the a lot of young builders i speak with from the building side they say well how do we build our name and reputation well part of it is you know it as a young builder or architect or designer you got to get a stake in the ground right you have to get a sign up and the way to do that is maybe you go build a spec because getting a build to suit where a client's hiring you to build their house, well, if you don't have a resume that you've done hillside work, you don't have a resume that you've built an 8,000 square foot house, they're going to say, well, why should I hire you, Patrick or Max, right? Because you haven't done this, right? So then one of the ways to loophole, if you will, is, okay, well, I'm going to go build a spec and then another one. And then people see my sign up and they see I can do this, right? So from that mentality, from your side, as you're working with investors, it's almost the same thing as you're starting to build your brand, Max and Patrick, and you guys are building credibility you're going to have to say, yeah, we've had good ROIs on our projects and our developments. We know what we're doing. We're, you know, we're more savvy in the market now. We, we know the investments to chase. How do you start building that resource pool of who wants to invest? And you mentioned back home in Germany, here in the U.S. How does that continue to expand and where did it start? It started with referrals. It's going with referrals and it will always be referrals. Um, that's the base of uh, the business that we, that we build up here, whether it's the brokerage side or the development side. and uh, you know, that keeps it more boutique. It keeps it more exclusive. There's no public solicitation for any any funds. You can't go on our website and say, invest with us today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for us, the personal relationships that we have been building and that we are building, that's that's our biggest asset. So we will continue to do that. And how, you know, with your investors, how involved are they with each project? You know, do they have any concerns of risk? You know, one thing Patrick mentioned early on, as you talked about, a lot of your projects are pre-sold. Well, one of the benefits is that from an investor portion, well, you have a commitment, right? There's going to be dollars tied in escrow from the, per, you know, from uh, who, who's ever purchasing the project and, you know, the house is sold. So you can run the numbers and you kind of know what your outlook's going to be. The only risk to that is that if costs increase, right, if there's material increase the market goes up could have sold it for more so you know so how risk adverse are your investors i think it depends on the and then like max said because it's very boutique and we every investor we work with we know or they came through a referral and and you know you kind of like same thing you do your homework on both sides for a couple of months it's not like somebody can just call and say hey, i want to put you know half a million with you guys tomorrow we would say no no wait let's grab lunch let's talk yeah. to that guy <laughs> let's walk some of a pro like we're like we want to make sure that they know, right? And we also, like you said earlier, I think one of the biggest things is you got to be honest, right? Like you got to tell them like, hey, we've never done this type of spec before. We've never done a 9,000 hillside, but there's huge upside, but there's going to be hiccups. It's going to take a little longer. There is a little bit more risk, but there's also a lot more reward on it. So who's fine with it? Like don't place your money in this deal if you're more like, a, let's just build a bread and butter that's going to sell you know, within a week because it's the you know perfect starter home. Whatever. Like there's different, different, you know, type of investors with different appetite for risk, um, I, I would call it that. So we try to strategically place the right guys on the right deals and do the right things. Um, and, and we give them scenarios. We say, hey, this is this is the perfect timeline. And um, we actually put a little scale together. We say the chances that we're going to be one month delayed is, you know, temperate. Like, we'll, we'll basically say, hey, these are your, your odds and basically on budget and timeline on a project like this. So they know you know, how difficult of a project it could be. Um, and then as far as the pre-selling it, um, same thing. It's a, it's a, there's a pros and cons to it, right? If you sell too early, you might have undersold it, right? But there's also a huge benefit to sleeping good at night, knowing it's pre-sold and you you got your number locked in and maybe you're not making, you know, 30% ROI, but you're making 25, but everybody's happy and everybody's sleeping really good for the next eight months because, it's pre-sold, the money's in the bank, the earnest money's released. We have a very good deal structure on, on how the contracts are written. Um, so, you know, again, every investor is different. Some say, hey, if we, I don't mind if we make it a little less, if we got this, you know, buttoned up. And then there's others that say, no, no, let's keep this rolling. I don't want anybody in the house until it's staged and done and let's, you know, put a big number on it. So very different. And it's a, it's a good mix between some deals are a little bit more going for a little bigger, and then the other ones are, let's keep a couple safe ones. 
and, and it's amazing to listen to this, Patrick, because I think from a communication side, right, that's super important in our business communication with our customer. And, you know, it's, it's heavy lifting when you're building a house for a customer. There's a lot of emotion involved and there's a lot of dollars they're putting into it. And you're trying to make sure that you're meeting that expectation. And for you, it, it's, it's both ways. You're not only internally, you know, doing all the research, you're working with the contractor, making sure they're on schedule, but you have investors as well that you're communicating with saying, hey, as you mentioned, we may have a delay or this, we found some hard dig right on this hillside. It's going to take two extra months and another, you know, 60 grand to dig through this, this hard dig. And so there's constant communication, but that's where you end up building the trust and, and which will lead to the next project and next deal. Yeah, and, and especially in the pre-sold ones, the the group of people that get involved gets really big, right? Because now you have a the, us as the listing agents, you have the investors, the builder, the designer, the the buyer's agent, the buyer, the buyer's right. agent, financial advisor, and the buyer's best friend's mother, and like you know, yeah. there's all of a sudden there's like ten people that 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 want to discuss if that shower should be three feet or three and a half feet. You know, like I mean, every, all of a sudden everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to be involved, so we we do send out weekly reports that show exactly what happened the last seven days. There's some pictures. This is what's scheduled for next week, and you know, then and, and that way they they kind of know what's going on. We have build a trend, which which uh, um, love it. Yeah, so we share that with all the investors, as all the buyers. I like, think you're the only realtors I know that use. Build a trend. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's it, same thing. There's some good things and some bad things about it, right? Because yeah. they might see it and say, "Oh, it said you know you're going to start stucco last last week and it hasn't started." Well, it rained. We got to wait a couple. So you get calls where it's like didn't really need that call it, because it, it right. didn't change the timeline of the build because we started four days late on on, on, you know, on yeah. so but they don't know that they don't know that on you you do another stuff at the same time and it doesn't really matter if it happens last week this week or next week it's and not some gonna... some things you just can't see that are actually happening you know right, right. <laughs> so so it, it's good and bad but we like it because it's a it's a very transparent open form of you know if you have any, if you want to know where it's at, just log in. There's your login, and you get you know push notifications. If you know, I just got one on the way here. Doors and windows have been delivered. You know, super signs off, so the owner gets their message saying, "Hey, okay, you know, that's a big milestone. Stuff's on site, so that's the next." And so it helps us, you know, have some sort of automated communication, um, but it also generates extra communication because now there's questions on you know why stuff hasn't happened or why is that already done and. You know, so that's that's. But again, transparency, like you said, you got to communicate. You got to keep everybody involved, and and ultimately, there's only so much you can do. If the windows are two weeks delayed, that's I. It's not like I can it's go COVID somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just everybody understands. It's not like I can just go to the next store and buy them there off the rack. Like they order, they take ten, twelve weeks, whatever. Right now, it's just longer, and we all just gonna have to wait until they show up. There's nothing we can do, and. In the beginning, new investors, so they might be a little bit more like get nervous or frustrated about stuff like that. But then they realize, okay, that's that's just construction, and we said that from the beginning. There's going to be not just one; there's going to be a lot of hiccups. That's just construction, and it always takes a little longer than you think. And even if you say I'm going to put a little bit of buffer on it, you're probably going to need a little bit more than the buffer. And the budget is always going to be close, but it's also going to be stuff that gets added as you go, right? Because as you start seeing come together, you're like, yeah, that would be really cool if you do some light features here or if you do this or, you know. So you add stuff as you go and then there's unforeseen costs that, that could be price increases on material or, you know, like you said, a hard dig or something that you can't control. So again, before you go in, everybody needs to know that, you know, nobody has a crystal ball and, and everybody's planning as good as they can and everybody's working towards the same goal, build a perfect product as fast as you can and, make everybody happy on all sides that's the goal and you know nobody's sitting at home not doing anything like that and and they pretty quickly understand that and then they just know okay everybody's doing their best and they're fine with it now we're super excited welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast pella windows and this is even more exciting because we use pella in so many of our projects nearly all of them and they've been just an incredible partner of ours and locally sammy and adam they are not only amazing business partners behind us but they are super close friends and I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. 
They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. It's amazing how composed you both are because I think about when you go into these deals that are pre-sold and you have 10 parties involved, as you mentioned, and itemized. I mean, <laughs> I see Max sign here because there's a lot of complication. There's a lot of personalities. You become a little bit more of a psychiatrist than a developer. But it, this is what's fascinating to me. If you pre-sell it, do you have any limitations to what the client can change or customize? Because now, as you mentioned, you get the example of the shower change. Well, now that the client has pre-sold and purchased the home and they want to make changes, Pandora's box is open. I mean, this sky's the limit. So how do you manage through that? Yeah, I mean we've we've done we've done the dance. Um, yeah, you know we've we've done it where we changed a lot of stuff and you change to change again, right? You're like, oh no, let's just go with this one, and then oh no, let's go back to the original one, and you're like, I just ordered. So we've done that. Um, so we try to limit it a little bit, but then on the other hand, you know, going back to our spec, is somebody's custom, right? Yeah, it's if their they, home. They're they, paying for it. They pay five million dollars. They should be able to say, I want that shower to be bigger. Yeah, and. They need to understand that we got to, you know, move plumbing. And it's not just like, oh, we're just going to, you know, add one piece of tile on the side. No, all the plumbing needs to move. Everything needs to move. The vanity size changes. The tra- like, they need to understand the, the, the delays and, you know, problems that that may cause. Um, so a lot of, again, it's expectation management, right? Like, you can change, but we'll let you know if, you, you know, how much that's going to add to your timeline and cost and if that makes sense or not. Um, but, but we always do, a, a once you're on a contract, give them a 30 day, um, inspection period. You know, there's nothing to inspect yet. Right. Uh, which that's meeting with the designer, going through all the designs, the specs, touch, the feel all the finishes, apply. Yeah. And that's where they can come in and do any changes. And then after 30 days, we're basically saying, okay, that's the cutoff. Anything you haven't decided yet is basically now up to the seller to say if we're going to do it or not. Because if you throw us a curveball last minute of, you know, let's add a bedroom on the other side. And now you got to go through permit again and you added another, you know, two months. Like that's where we just, you have to, you know, say, hey, we, we whatever we can, we will do. But there's probably going to be one or two things where we have to say it just, it just can't be done at this point anymore. And I think we've gotten a lot better at like uh, dancing on this very uh, kind of fine line between uh, accommodating and kind of staying true and loyal to, you know, kind of our, our belief and it's it's going to be custom home at the end um but also setting expectations right like the 30 days that patrick um mentioned you know that's something that over the years we you know we've been starting to establish and once it's in writing they understand they sign off and if something comes up along the way patrick and i are usually pretty lenient um and say okay if if we can change it if it hasn't been ordered yet if there's an extra cost quick addendum change order funds into tile release to us we place the order and then we're good so i think we've gotten a lot better at that but in the beginning we were definitely two there was no 30 days so you could pretty much you want to change something tomorrow i mean there were calls almost daily about stuff that uh and then a second designer involved i mean there was that was a little bit too much dancing, um, but I think uh, we've we've gotten better and we feel feel good about it. Especially where you have a designer in the project and the client buys it and they have their own relationship, their own designer, and that's where you have the two parties, as you mentioned. Yep, it's so interesting. And so when, when you think about that, it's and and this is really important, you know, for you know, as we've tried to be better as a company, you know, you think about streamlining, as you mentioned, Max. I mean, you you learn by mistake and you say, well, this didn't work. You know, I didn't set this expectation properly. I didn't communicate this right. And that's what drives a wedge in the relationship or the project success, right? And so you start to fine tune that. You work with your team and you say, okay, well, we can do this, this, and this. And now we set the project up for success moving forward, uh, which is really key as you evaluate and do that kind of biopsy of every project, right? You know, um, so going back to this, I mean, especially in development right now, one thing we're struggling with um, is, is permits, right? It's taken a long time to get through design, through architecture, through permit. 
Has that affected any deals that you have on the table? Because permits typically, you know, you'd get in eight to 12 weeks and now they could take upwards of six to eight months because of civil grading and drainage, you know, a lot of complexity that hundred year flood zones here in town. I mean, how has that affected projects you have? It definitely affected projects as far as the timeline is concerned. So I guess that's everybody's in the same boat on that end. Uh, however, like Patrick said, I think the market right now is still strong, has been going strong, um, much better than probably anyone would uh, would expect uh, when the pandemic started. So we're trying to, I think we're we're good with that. The actual appreciation of the market and the time that it gives us with a lot of projects, Patrick goes back to the drawing board and says, okay, is there is there anything that we can do better? Is there anything that we can um, value engineer on this particular project to create more value? So that kind of a downtime, um, we try to be as proactive as possible. And we understand we can't, the city is not going to move faster. Um, so we just have to use the time uh, the best way possible and see what is what is there that we can do to kind of mitigate that um, or add something to that to make it uh, less hurtful uh, as far as the project outcome goes. What's that preparation, right? I mean, if you're spending that time now, even though it's delayed at the city and you're preparing schedule or timing, or as you're saying, looking at the engineering or design, you know, it, it, if we know, hey, this window we want, it's amazing, but we know it's coming from Portugal and it may get stuck in the port and then, you know, maybe we change it to this window that's here local and we can get it quicker. So then our build time changes. Yeah. And especially finishes or little little features that we um, that we put in the houses that will make the product stick out once it hits the market. Um, and like Patrick mentioned, you know, if the market uh, soft has correct itself, which at some point will happen. Uh, we all know that. Um, we want to make sure that we have a product on the market available that um, has things outside of quality, but also finishes where you say, okay, I haven't, I haven't seen that in, that in a house in Arizona. So we always look um, to different markets. We look um, back home. We have a lot of resources that give us, give us inspiration to make a difference. Um, it's really smart. I mean, I think about what they're doing in Europe. And as you mentioned, you know, both, being that you're both from Germany and some of the innovation and technology and design, you know, in that part of the world, they're so advanced, right? And I know a lot of the designers and architects I work with travel there on occasion. I mean, now it's been tough with COVID, of course, but so this is almost like a little cheat sheet where you're networking and doing research outside of our market to see what other people are doing and how can you bring that influence here into Phoenix? Yeah, that's that's the only thing that we had when we came here. We didn't have anything <laughs> else. So I guess uh, since we started uh, in this business, we've always done that. And it's naturally too, because we are not from here. We have family, we have friends, business partners, investors overseas in different states. So um, not using that resource would be... Uh, Detrimental, uh, be yeah. stupid to not... For sure. And I think, I think one thing that we've heard many times that, that made us question something about it is when we started doing design work or when our spec, we're like, okay, let's, let's um, work on a project right now where it's like a big atrium with a water feature, a tree in the middle, uplighting, like it has glass to the master, to the exercise room. So stuff that, that you, especially in specs, don't see, right? In customs, it's really hard to see a lot in customs because everybody only builds so many and right. a lot of the really nice ones other than the actual builder design I never get to see because a lot of the owners are very private about it. So we, we try to do stuff that we see in other markets. And, and every time we do stuff like that, um, in one of the house, we have a 22-foot-tall waterfall in the entry foyer where you come in, like a water feature, right? So it, everybody's like, yeah, you don't have to do that. And, and that came up all the time, right? The architect would say, the design, everybody would say, we don't have to do that in Arizona. Like, nobody does it. Like, that, that, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing it. It's just saying that nobody's doing it because... You know, you can get away with not doing it. But again, if you want somebody be happy with the product and be wowed by it, you got to do something that everybody else thinks they don't have to do, right? Uh, reset light, see, like light coves and, and, you know, like, I mean, there's so many different little things around the house that add up very quickly, as we all know. Um, but that everybody says, well, you don't have to do it. Like it'll sell without it, right? It's almost a motivating factor on the built and development side as well as on the real estate side. I mean, would we... Patrick and I said we want to we want to do luxury. Um, the first thing that we did, we actually changed the DBA of our brokerage from America One Realty Services to America One Luxury Real Estate. We got T-shirts done, and that was that was it. And 
you know, there were a lot of people in town that kind of laughed, laughed about it and said, ah, I mean, you guys can't do that. You know, there's, you know, there's so many established players here. It's such a tight market. You have no experience. And same thing there. Like, why not? You know, why, why can't you do it? So it's almost a catalyst for us and a motivating factor when, uh, when we get these uh, kind of comments and they kind of fuel us even more to, um, to get it done. So. I love that you share that, Max, because when you think about it, this catalyst for you both is that you're coming into a market that, as you, as, as you mentioned, there's players in town, they have reputations, they've done this, you know, and, and, and what's interesting is you look at people that are successful in life and it's always a consistent theme. It's like, if you want to be great, you have to be consistently good, right? And yes, hard work is beyond important, as you both have mentioned, you know, doing all that research and time, preparing yourself. And then as you said, but you have the vision, hey, we want to be in luxury. We're going to start here on this flip, but we know where we're going down the road. We're going to be here in four years. And having that mindset, having that consistent work ethic and constantly good will make you great is that consistency. And that's what is the driver behind you both. That's yeah. true, yeah. And uh, so how's that now? So what keeps, you, what, what keeps you up at night now? Like the risk, because going into the luxury market, there's a lot of risk. And so what is it that stresses you out, you know, the risk that you have now that takes, you know, that heavy... I think I think it's I think as far as the risk we we feel pretty good just because of how we you know we said we were very conservative on when you run the numbers and on you know what we think you can sell for and what we're going to be in it so we're we're very conservative um 95% of our projects we've beaten the the projections and most of the time by a lot and not because of anything crazy but just because the 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 bar was set kind of low for yeah. us right everybody's like oh if we do this we're great right and then over over deliver that's kind of how we've been doing it so i think the only thing that that kind of keeps us up at night is more like the the in a positive way but the anxiety you want to get going you want to like you know like you said permit takes a long time right and you keep going up to that lot and you like you know i wish it was like a wall up right now right <laughs> so you, it's more that and then and then yeah at some point you get investors and buyers and you know people that are like you know they start then like hey i'm excited when is it go, you know going to start and like might be in two weeks, might be in eight weeks. We we don't know. Like the, you know, the kick all the city. They're going to tell you they don't know. Like you know, they're going to get to it when they get to it. So that's more not like risk that keeps us up. It's more like the just anxiety pop. that drive of trying to get these it's projects just, up and going. Yeah, and then it's almost more like a, a excitement than anxiety, right? Because it gets fun once you start seeing walls come up and you start seeing it come to life. So, um, and we we do have four projects right now that are like the permit could come in like tomorrow, right, on, on four of them. So that that's a little bit of a positive, but also a little bit of a, you know, negative because now you got to frame four 7,000 square foot houses at the same time, right? Because yeah, they all hit at once. It always is that way. Yeah. You have so, them spaced maybe 45 days apart and they all hit at once. Exactly. And that, that's kind of what happened uh, to us. And yeah, happened from septic permit and that house pushed that one back. And then this one, all of a sudden, we submitted one that kind of flew, like it just, like everything went perfect. No red lines here. This uh, and we're like, how did we get this one so fast, right? And other ones are red lines on the demo permit because you know they forgot to, you know, or, I mean, little stuff. You know the stuff where you, yeah. you know makes scratch your head and say, did you guys really send that back because of this? Like, you know, isn't that kind of obvious? Or can you, you know, it's it's so that's the stuff that's more frustrating because now you got to go back to everyone and tell everyone what's you know, oh, it's going to be delayed. Um, but can't change it. And and again, communication going into everything, being upfront about it, being honest about it. Um, same thing we did on the, like Max said, when we went to the luxury market, you know, we always get into a listing appointment and the seller says, have you sold a house for four million before? Right. That question, like you said, same on the builder side, when yeah. they ask you like, have you done this before? Right. And we always said, let's make that a positive thing that we haven't. Right. We're like, no, we have not. And that's exactly why we're going to, do a better job than anybody else because this is going to be our baby. This is going to be, I mean, we, we can't screw this one up, right? Because that's the first one. So we'll make sure that there's nothing that we could do better. Anybody else could have done better for you. So if you give us a shot, you know, we'll, we'll get it done for you. So we, we did that. And luckily we had people that trusted us and said, you know what? I got a good feeling about you guys. You guys are high energy or, you know, you're at least you're honest. You're not bullshitting me going into this. So, you know, I'll give you 90 days. Let's see what happens. And then, again, between us being very proactive and, and kind of workaholics and a little bit of luck, right? That's also part of it, right? You get the right buyer come in to town that, you know, 
might have not seen the house before. Like, so, so just a little bit of timing again, like Max said. And all of a sudden, we you know got the first one for one six and one two two, and you know kind of work your way up. And now you got a six, and now we got a ten, and and all of a sudden now you get the call, and it's like, have you sold the house before? Yes. Right now you can say it, but in the beginning you can almost like make it a positive thing that you haven't right if you pitch it the right way. I remember when uh, we were kind of passing that $4 million mark and we're like, okay, so we have this project for $4 million. And now when I think about the conversations I've daily with, you know, the local local agents um, that are all very well respected, we, we keep amazing relationships with all of them. Um, it's all I talk about with them is when you have someone 5 million up, modern contemporary, call us. Because that's all we have, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not only one or two; it's it's like a couple. So, um, you know, sometimes you have these conversations. I had one this morning. I hung up the phone. I'm like, "We have that's all we do." And like a year or two, you know, we had one. So, um, so the trajectory and kind of the the brand that we're trying to establish is the modern contemporary developments in Paradise Valley. Um, that's what we love. That's what we're passionate about. And um, it's cool to see that there's not a lot, but there's a very few people that do a lot of business, um, especially in Paradise Valley. Um, and, and having those relationships there, the same way we have it with investors, partners, and clients, uh, being collaborative, being open and uh, resourceful, transparent. I mean, I've with agents say, I can, I mean, I run them through our deals and say, okay, this is how we do it. This is how we set it up. Set it up. I don't. There's there, there's technically no no secret with that. So, being a resource there on both ends and kind of seeing it as a two way street has helped us a lot. It's interesting because you've been focused on your growth and getting into that luxury market and then taking this project, growing it into the next one and growing it into the next one. And and you mentioned this early on, Max. You said, you know, sometimes the best projects are the ones that you don't get. But but it's hard at the time to deal with that frustration or discouragement by not being awarded or not getting it or getting the listing, you know, because mentally you're like, I, I, I was prepared. I did all the work. This is going to like set the tone and I didn't get it. Was there a time when both of you were ever discouraged saying, Hey, we, we know where we want to be. We're not there. We didn't get this deal. Now what, you know, how do we pivot? You know, now what are, are, are we really going to get there? So the discouragement is fuel for us has always been like that and um i remember in particular our first listing that was the first deal that we did over two million the client came to the office we had uh, the listing agreement actually everything was printed out i mean ready to sign and that's actually what we thought was going to happen that day but uh, he came in and he said yeah i can't give you the listing right now like uh, you know it was pre, I think it was pre-framing at that point. Uh, but they said, you know, I have other partners and right now I can't do it. Um, you know, and there's other agents. I mean, you know, there's there's so many, so many of us out there. And I remember when the guy actually left the office. At first, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but the next thing, the actual first thing that Patrick and I talked about, we said, we're going to get this. We're not going to let this go. Three months later, they signed broke a record in that neighborhood and that was our first two million dollar deal so that was on the listing side the reason i'm sharing that is even if something doesn't work out quite at this moment it doesn't mean that if you hang in there that you can't get it done maybe that's exactly because you get it done because you hang in there right um one of the projects that we're the most passionate about building something pretty spectacular up in Clearwater Hills, one of the four projects that we're currently going in there. I mean, that one was on and off the table for so long. And I don't know how many people looked at it and said, ah, no, that's too crazy. It's too crazy. I can't do it. Oh, you need to tear down. Oh, it offered it to two, three investors. We ended up doing it ourselves eight, nine months later. So just because something doesn't happen quite at this moment, that, that actually... I almost think like that's when you need to prove yourself or that's when you show how bad you want it. Um, and that doesn't mean at the end, there's some things that maybe don't end up working out, right? Where that thing is like dead, dead in the water, but that's fine. At least we know for ourselves, we always give it our best. And there's countless stories and deals where probably 
99% would have said, you know what, that it's it's just done. But it's not done. So um, I think that's, we've always done that. That Helps. perseverance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, going back to this too, Patrick, when you're talking about just these deals, you know, and put them together, how long does a deal typically take? Because for those listening, this isn't like a three-month process, right? There's there's a lot of time. So when you look at these deals and say, hey, this is a venture we want to pursue, what's that time frame? I mean, most of the bigger stuff right now start to finish probably 12 to 18 months. Um, and and again, with like a lot of the, the good deals, you get sent off market from other agents. They're like, hey, I got something coming. I know that right, you know, might be right up your alley, right? So you look at it. Um, the one that Max just mentioned, you show it to two different investor clients of ours where we're just... They're not our investors, but like people that we represent as an agent and say, hey, you're always looking for a project. I think this would be one, right? They both passed on it and then we did it and both called and said, did you just buy that deal? Like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, right? We wouldn't send it to you if we don't yeah. think it's a good deal. Yeah. And they're like, why didn't you do it right away? We're like, well, first of all, because you're a client, you ask us for a deal. So we, we want to get you a deal first. Like we, we send it to you first. Plus for us, the timing was a little off, right? And then like Max said, it took six, seven months. And by that time, the, the our funds were ready, everything made sense, and then we put a deal together. And then we also, again, going back to the homework that we're doing before, we're already looking at, okay, what's the building envelope? What can we do? What are the comps? What are the, you know, the, the opportunities? What are the, 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 the catches on that deal potentially? So you, you kind of look through all that. And so when we, when we start, we kind of already had, you know, a six, eight-week soft start before where we're not like, oh, okay, now it starts. When it starts, we're already like, this is where we're going to start because we already did a lot of work before. So that takes a little bit of time off. Um, and then again, the last 18 months, obviously it's a little bit difficult for everyone to precisely project a completion date um, because even your subs sometimes can tell you when they're going to get, you know, shot creed is one of the things right now that we see where they're like, you know, they used to do rebar and two days later you come back and the pool is done and you're like, you know, when when were they here? Right? Now it's and three months later. Yeah, now it's like, oh, it's like going to be eight weeks, 10 weeks. And you're like, okay. And, you know, it's, it's can't do anything about it. So, so right now it's a little bit more difficult. So it might be closer to 18 months. Um, if it's a big hillside, it might be even more than that. And if you're lucky, the one that we just got, got everything uh, approved. That might be a uh, eleven months because how fast everything went, and that there was a you know almost three months under contract period where all the plans and designs were pretty much done by the time we closed. So it varies. And what brought you both to Phoenix? Uh, vacation initially. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Were you in Germany at the time? Uh, I was in Germany at the time. Uh, one of my uh, close friends, uh, uh, a good golfer, so he he has a place here, and he said, you know, one night over dinner, he's like, you got to come to Scottsdale. It's perfect you know we can play golf we can go out there's you know old town there's good restaurants the whole thing um so i'm like all right i'll i'll, I'll be there right and i came out i was supposed to stay three weeks ended up staying two months <laughs> uh, because i liked it and um and then i came back once or twice after that and then one day him and i and another friend of ours were just out in, in germany and i said let's just we should just do like a vegas scottsdale like la trip it so was we, uh, two in the morning. Yeah. There yeah. might have been a couple of drinks involved when we actually booked the flight. <laughs> yeah, we booked the flights at three in the morning on the phone. But um, yeah, it was a good, you know, we came here and the Max says, that's actually a good spot, right? It's 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 convenient. It's safe. It's nice. There's a lot of opportunity. And, and um, so, yeah, technically really by chance, like there was no, it wasn't a specific market market that we targeted or anything. It was just like, you know, it's a good spot and let's go. And we always said that American journalists the one place probably where if you go crazy on work, you're going to get rewarded mm -hmm. in the same amount. Um, there's nothing that holds you back. There's nothing that limits you. Um, and that's just a unique thing. And, and um, that's that's uh, what we've been trying to do every day since we got here. And how does Phoenix compare to other luxury markets? Now that you're in the luxury market and you're doing some of the top product, you know, here in our market, you know, how do you feel that compares? Do you feel that demand will continue? It almost feels like a little bit of a, juvenile market right and probably one of the one of the cities where especially talking about our niche market the modern uh, contemporary homes where you look at LA I mean we we recently went there on a business trip I mean you go through Beverly Hills I mean it's just completely on another level there right um, price points as well as finishes and products so we're starting to see that here in the market and we believe there's a lot of opportunity not only because of influx 
of out-of-state buyers, but uh, there's so much potential here. And, you know, em- embedding modern architecture into into kind of the, the desert feel is just, just amazing. I mean, your homes, our homes, Crown Canyon, there's so many other properties that you look at, and you're like, it's just amazing how that looks. And But there's not a lot out here yet. And I feel like price points are getting higher and higher as far as resale values, right? Thousand a foot is almost a... St- not standard, but it's you see it a lot. Um, not only asking, but also closing. Now you see fifteen hundred square case foot. Before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, and I tr- think part of that too is the HOAs. One of the challenges there are HOAs in town that restrict certain designs, and so you saw that you couldn't build a modern house yeah. in Silverleaf in parts of town. And then now, as that's changed, and we have some outside of these HOAs where they're like super modern. You know, Scandinavian modern, that European flair coming in, a couple of homes we're doing in town. And that is changing it because people are seeing that and be like, I want that. I, you know, I'm something different than what has been commonplace here in town. Yeah. So I feel there's still, there's still so, so much to go. And um, we're excited to be part of that and contribute to, you know, to this beautiful, beautiful town here. Cause it is, it's truly amazing. We couldn't, couldn't imagine living anywhere else. And that's a big move. I mean, Germany to Phoenix, that's a huge change. <laughs> so what do you guys do for fun now? You know, how's that transition been? You know, do you get homesick? Uh, no, I think, I mean, we always talk about it. I mean, and, and obviously there's a benefit of, of uh, having a, a close friend and partnership, uh, business partnership and all that stuff. So it's, you know, you bring a little bit of home with you, right? So it's not like you're a one-off now. So um, we we actually text in English, but when we talk, we speak German. Um it's just how that happened over the last couple of years, but it's so that helped a lot. Um, again, I, I think it's just it's it's a good place to live, so we don't necessarily miss anything. What you miss the most is family, friends, all that stuff, right? To like just you know hit up your friends and say let's grab a beer, right? That's 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 kind of one thing that you miss. Um, but you know it's it's uh, it's it's part of everything we do, and then again we got each other. We got um, I, I got a baby now. I got a wife. We. Get, we, you build your life pretty quickly wherever you go and then, you know, it becomes your new home. So, um, and, and we met so many uh, great people here and, and I mean, we still work 90 hours a week, so there's not that much time right now yeah. to, to we enjoy or, or, or miss anything. But um, I think as we get maybe more established and can actually maybe take a weekend off more than once a year, then, then we can maybe start enjoying and start picking up some hobbies and, and, you know, traveling a bit more and stuff. But right now it's, it's a, uh, it's just a grind time until we get to a certain point that we've set ourselves to, you know, achieve. And then we can take it down a notch and maybe only work 60 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> so how's your English so good? Both of you. I mean, it's phenomenal. We learn it in school back home. Um, it's standard. It's kind of the first foreign language that you learn. Um, I went to an international school after I went to German. So I graduated um, at an international school. So last like two, three years. Um, we speak it every day. So I guess that helps um, a lot. There's still, there's still a couple of words, a couple of words. There you go. There's <laughs> <laughs> still a couple of words sometimes where, you know, I've, I've never, never heard those before. I remember when we took the test um, to be a licensed real estate agent. I mean, it was a mix of like translating 80% and understanding the question. I mean, those things are, you know, you kind of underestimate that. Um, even though we, we have good education back home, you know, there's obviously very specific lingo in the real mm-hmm. estate world. And then uh, Americans are excellent at acronyms, yep. um, which, uh, you know, we're, get, we're getting there, but there's still a lot of things that we just try to figure out. But we... When we speak or like in an, in an interview situation right now, we, we typically don't have to translate in our head. By now, it just, it just flows. So um, that certainly helps. Accent's not going away. I don't think so. But Oh, it's so minimal though. Like <laughs> honestly, it, it, it's, it's hard, hardly recognizable. Even when I first met you, I mean, I was super amazed. It's, it's incredible. And now here you guys are. I mean, living in Phoenix, Forbes magazine, you know, Entrepreneur Magazine. I mean, you guys are doing some amazing things. Um, so what else is upcoming and exciting for you? Um, I, yeah, I mean, like I said, we, we still trying to, uh, achieve the next back, you know, best thing and, and kind of like try to, to build out everything we've started the last four years. Um, because, you know, if you build a business four years, it's not a long time. Like there's a lot of 
foundation work that you have to do to to you know build it all up correctly to where someday you maybe can you know like I said remove yourself for a couple of days and everything still keeps going and and so I think we still have a lot of work to do to um, you know in the trenches right like actually hands on um, we're looking into to potentially Florida as a second market at some point um, because there is connections there and there is ways to to for us to get a jump start. Um, especially with European investors, they love Florida. That's, you know, they know Florida, they know New York and LA, those are the three, you know, places they all know and, and go to. So uh, when we first started Phoenix, I like, where is Phoenix? What is that? Is that, you know, is that even a, like a city or is that, you know? <laughs> is so, that a bird? <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, there was no, there was, and, and that changed a lot in the last five years even, right? Phoenix and Scotts, everything got put on the map over the last couple of years, like outside of the US and even within the US, to see a lot more. Um, but yeah, I think that's the next step. But again, I think the, the overall, you know, we keep reminding ourselves, um, you know, when we text almost every day that, you know, there's health and family and there's other stuff that, that, that come first. And right now we're fortunate enough that we can't focus on the business because everything else is going really well. And, and, um, but yeah, the goal is obviously to, to establish the business more and, and, and then to be able to maybe enjoy the family time and that stuff a little bit more. Yeah, it's super exciting. So where can our listeners find you? So on our website, maxandpatrick.com. Uh, try to keep it simple and uh, memorable. Um, our brokerage is America One, realestate.com. Um, we both have uh, in- Instagram accounts. Mine is uh, max underscore America One. Patrick's is Patrick underscore America One. And yeah, that's where you can find us. Well, we'll get you guys tagged here in the show notes and can't thank you enough for making time today and appreciate all you're doing here in town. Thank you so much for having us, Brett. Thank you. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.